Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for January 17th of 2016. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Wolf. And on this edition of the podcast, we will be discussing the 3 a.m. trade uh, that Jim Rutherford and Bob Murray completed that sent Carl Hagelin to the Pittsburgh Penguins in exchange for David Perron and Adam Clendenning. And we will also talk about how Clendenning being moved and a David Warzowski injury may result in the recall of Derek Pouliot and what that might mean short and long term. Uh, so the trade itself happened very late at night. I no, was, it didn't. I was it actually very late in the afternoon. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, for you it did. And, and I was actually <laughs> up pretty late that night. I'm like, eh, Twitter. Not that late. I was just browsing through Twitter like in the evening and, um, you know, it kind of died down and I'm like, eh, all right, I'm good. I'll go to bed. And then, uh, next morning my mentions are all, well, what do you think? And I'm like, what do I think about what? <laughs> then they start oh, so... seeing Perron's name thrown around a bit. And, um, I was like, all right, you know, it was, it was always certainly a possibility of them moving on from him given that his offensive production has been so terrible. It's just a matter of, uh, well, what were they going to get for him? And I think what they got for him was um, a lateral move. It's it's really funny. Like, I've I've been happy with what Perron's been doing on the ice. The puck's down the other end of the ice more often. He's a good forechecker. He doesn't mind um, mixing it up if you want to look at it old-school style. But the only thing that he was lacking was actual, as you like to term it, tangible output. So for, for me, we're going to get Hagelin back, who was struggling to produce tangible output as well. Um, the biggest thing for me with Hagelin is as long as the puck stays down the other end of the ice, which um, I think briefly looking at his numbers, he's been able to do on a Ducks team that all over has struggled to produce points anyway. Um, it's a lateral move. Like you said, the negative for Pittsburgh is down the track. That's where if Hagelin doesn't start actually tangibly producing, you've got that four years for three more, uh, four mil for three more years. That's where it, it can be a problem with a limited uh, no trade clause inside of it as well. Uh, no trade clause is done. Because he was traded before it kicked in. It, oh, so that, um, it does not carry good. over from something that I read. So, oh, okay. That, I did not know that. That's quite handy then. Yes, it, it helps them a little bit. And I agree with you. I think the term for Pittsburgh is is a risk. Uh, Nothing wrong with could, the risk. I've got could, no problem taking the risk. Yeah. It could work, uh, but it could also play against them because – Carl Hagelin not having himself a great year either. In fact, he has less points than David Perron. And they're kind of, like we say, lateral move, but they're they're both unique in their own ways where David Perron hustled a lot, I think, but I don't think he was very fast. And I, But I think his puck skills are excellent. I think uh, over the course of his career, he's shown to, to be good with the puck, even though this year at times he struggled. And he's been able to put up, points in the past, whereas Carl Hagelin is a speed demon, but doesn't quite have hands. So they're kind of coming at it from an opposite approach. But their offensive numbers are very, 
similar over the years, and furthermore, their offensive numbers are both declining similarly over what, the years. One of the, one of the things that I think will be interesting with Hagelin will be how he's deployed. Like, I, I, I agree. I don't think he's got the hands to be a top six winger in a traditional sense, but with the aggressiveness that Mike Sullivan runs his forecheck, if they play him on the second line with Malcolm and Kessel, what I'd really like to see is Hagelin always be the first one in on the forecheck because you can then use Malcolm's smarts and reach and Kessel's speed to cut off the, the first outlet pass um, or just collect um, pucks that are bouncing around. And I would put my money on Malcolm and Kessel doing something creative with it. And Kessel is going to have to start scoring soon. He's too good of a scorer to not start putting things in the net. Um, I could see um, Hagland getting a lot of plus-minus, but not a lot of actual secondary assists. And I could see Gino and and Kessel really lighting it up from turnovers. That that's that's what I would like to see out of Hagland. And that's the difference with Hagland's speed as opposed to, as you said, Perron's hustle. Perron couldn't forecheck with that closing speed, whereas Hagelin has that ability to do that. So um, it wouldn't surprise me if Hagelin's possession numbers are high, but his actual tangible output is low, but he will be around for a lot of uh, pluses rather than minuses. And I don't rate that stat at all, as you all know. I think um, his skill set, like the things you're talking about, are similar to a penguin that just retired midseason. Yeah, totally agree. Where, you know, speed, there, hands, eh, we'll see. <laughs> uh, but it was effective for Pascal Dupuis. And, you know, we'll see if Carl Hagelin even sticks in the top six. But uh, certainly, I think the hope the glass three-quarters full approach would be, boy, oh, boy, if he were able to do some of the things Dupuis did, that would be really great. And you know what? It would be, but we'll see. Take a few years to kind of analyze and see if Pittsburgh was wise with this. But with the no-trade clause, who knows? Maybe they um, just wanted to change things up for this year. They were just kind of tired of, of Perron's lack of production and you know they could always move Hagland. it's not like he's unmovable no no it's one of those it's one of those things with you make the comparison with, with, with Dupuy and one of the things that always drove a, a lot of Penguins fans nuts was Dupuy's inability to finish and if we get there and both agree that he's very similar to, to Dupuy uh, he's 4 million with the same sort of skill set which is more than what Dupuy was making so, Penguins fans, if they're going to get there and, and look at it in a similar vein, um, just realize what you're getting in that skill set. He might not have the finish, but he does so many other things. Well, Dupuy did so many other things that benefited his line mates that Hagelin's a slightly higher-priced version of that at the moment, but you've technically got him in a window of his career that his decline shouldn't be quite like Dupuis was, even though he got hindered by injury and illness. Yep. And I think, you know, a lot of people are kind of playing the hindsight game with 
acquiring David Perron for that first round pick, but uh, can't do that. I I didn't have a problem with it then. I really don't. I still don't have a problem with it. You're talking about a mid twenties winger with high skill that was producing at the time. Came in, produced quite a bit. Broke his ribs at the end of last season, and for whatever reason, this year has not been his year. It's a contract year for him, so it's not like. You know, it's not yeah. in his best interest to to put up uh, numbers, and I don't know. I can't really explain it. Although I agree with you, I think I think he was doing some good things that were probably getting glossed over. But you can't play in the top six with Sid and Gino and not put up points, as we all know. Chris Kunitz uh, has been on the other end of scorn for similar reasons, and. I, I understand the frustration with him as a player. I think he's a good player having a bad year, and I do not believe these offensive struggles are going to, going to continue forever. And I think uh, he's an interesting uh, player for Anaheim. Uh, what if they plop him up with Getzlaff and Perry? I, I like David Perron when he gets the puck down in the corners, and who better playing down low than, than those two in Getzlaff and Perry? Yeah, and I mean Perry. As much as the team struggled, and and, and so is he. Perry can finish. So it's it's one less corner that Perry has to go and retrieve the puck. It's one less corner that the Getzler has to go and retrieve the puck. If they trust him to go into those corners and, and at least come out even and not get totally stripped in the puck the other way quickly, um, Getzler can probably gamble a little bit more because he's not the fleetest of foot, and he still does have to have defensive responsibilities being the center on that line. So it, it might it really might free that line up to be a little bit more productive if they play him up there. So it'll be interesting to see how both players go. They were traded literally for the same reason. Both were underperforming um, offensive production-wise. Um, both general managers and coaches probably felt like they needed a change of speed, a change of scene. Um, the bonus for Pittsburgh is that it injects speed into the lineup. And um, I think... Just watching the Carolina game, you can see that the, the speed certainly helps. So if they go and make any more moves, it needs to be for players that can generate speed. Now, whether or not that's uh, a quick brain with good passing or whether it's just pure skating, um, that's what Pittsburgh need to need to acquire, I think, would be the best way to look at it. And, yeah, no, no disagreements there. Although looking at uh, Anaheim quickly, uh, Daily Faceoff has uh, Richard, or sorry, Ricard Rackle still up on the third, and David Prawn with Kessler and Silverberg. So I've, re- I've read a few a few Ducks fans think that's where he's probably going to slip slot in. That's about where they think he'll be. They actually think he'll be a good good match up there with with those two players. I'm a big fan of Silverberg anyway, so. Um, and, and Kessler's just got to make sure the decline that's happening to him doesn't just happen quickly. I think one of the things about the trade that's interesting is they're both shooting like near 4.5%. Yeah, I know. And Perron's 11.7 for his career, which is really good. So it's And Hagel's about 8, isn't he? Nine, 9.2, which is slightly above average. So yep. they're both like way down, but uh, the, their team's... Both their teams are the 30th and 29th ranked shooting teams in the league right now. And their 
shooting percentages, Anaheim's uh, 4.98 and Pittsburgh at 5.66. I kind of wanted to look at prior years and see kind of how low the lows were. Mm-hmm. I went all the way back to 05-06 and not a single team finished a year uh, lower than either of those two right now. There's still half a season for them to, you know, crawl back up, but if it for right now, um even the 2012-13 season, which was lockout shortened, uh which were coming up on the amount of games that lockout shortened season was, they're still significantly lower. Do you ever believe in the concept of you get to the playoffs, it's a fresh season, and, and players seem to be able to get out of a funk or fall into a funk when you switch over into the, the new season? Do you ever have any thought process that that's even possible? Yeah, and does I'm that sure it's like... Any sense? Yeah, I could see, like, as a player, you're just kind of stuck in this rut mentally or what or whatnot and then you just turn it grinding it out finishing it through make sure your team's in the playoff and then you kind of know that the the regular season's done you you placed where you placed and that none of it matters anymore and you kind of every every team and player probably feels as though they can hit the reset button in the playoffs uh i mean the teams that are riding a hot wave don't want to do that they just want to but the ones that are struggling it's not it's like um it's like New Year's resolutions. I'm gonna lose. I'm gonna to start to lose weight. Like you start feeling guilty, and you're like, "Boom!" This magical date hits, and now I can go do it. The the reason I ask is that um, it seems to be the way in a lot of one and done sports where players can who have had a pretty average year can somehow flick a switch when it gets to the the finals. I'm thinking about the AFL over here, and can suddenly just magically play four games brilliantly in a row and, and, and win the win the grand final. So I just wonder whether I'd have to do the research or I could just ask someone to do the research because I'm too bloody lazy, whether anyone has that statistical jump sort of out of nowhere after being pretty average and then flicks a switch. I mean, my, my closest thought to that would be someone like Max Talbot who came out of nowhere and scored extremely timely goals at a much faster clip than when he was all the way through that 08-09 season. So Pittsburgh, teams like Pittsburgh, who else would there be? You'd probably say the Islanders are in that situation, Boston definitely. You flip over to the West and, and you look at Nashville and, and Minnesota, um, St. Louis would be the same way. There's a whole heap of teams there for them to get over the hump and, and one, make the playoffs, and, and two, actually win around in the playoffs need to have someone like that come out of the blue or have a star player on that team who's slumping get over that slump when they hit the playoffs and actually perform up to expectations. So you can say that the Penguins are doing much better now because Crosby's got over that hump that he was having, but that's not going to be enough for Pittsburgh to do well in the playoffs. So someone like Haglin would need to be that sort of a player, um, even like Pouliot coming in and maybe doing something in, in that regards or... Uh, Ian Cole refusing to stink it up like he currently has been for most of the year. So that's going to be the difference, I think, between teams in in Pittsburgh's position being able to actually move forward because they're starting to run out of options to make changes to this roster now. Logical ones. I mean, they could always 
You have a GM that's got a short shelf life, you know, if we're being honest. He's not going to be there long term. No. He He may, you know, there's always that possibility where very short-sighted bigger trade could be made uh, i don't nothing i've read or seen is pointing in that direction but you know you never know that would be the one very variable there uh pittsburgh really doesn't have a ton of moves to make not at all really um scuderi's out that was really big and, and daly's been fine for them uh, clear obvious upgrade he i mean daly scored today and that's one eighth of Rob Scuderi's career um uh, one thing I will give uh crazy old Ben Rutherford credit for is not afraid to go all right this isn't working I did trade for this guy but I'll ship him out so credit where credit's due there for me I mean you know you and I are very quick to jump all over him but to admit that something's not working and then move on from it um a lot of general managers do not do that you talking Peron? Yeah. Yeah, I thought he was going to jump, get out of that funk. I, I, really I so did I. Yeah, I agree. I really thought Peron would, would turn a corner at some stage, and it hasn't. So hopefully for, for his sake and Anaheim's sake that the, the change of scenery does do that for him. That's the reset button that he needs. And then obviously the same thing back for Hagelin with, with Pittsburgh. And Hagelin just signed that contract, right? Yeah, like he UFA to Anaheim and sort know, of. I, I think he was traded for Edom. Oh, he was too, and then he signed to stay, didn't he? Yeah, he was an RFA, if I'm correct. Unsigned RFA. Yeah. She's um. I just I don't know I don't know what to think about this year. There are so many teams that are still in it, and there are so many teams that if. Like, if you have a look at those teams that are chasing either of the two wildcard spots in either of the conferences, right? If you go on a bit of a hot run, you're in. But if you're outside and you go on a cold streak of, like, one and four, you've almost lost yourself out. Like, that's how tight this goes for, like, you look at Philadelphia, they're close. You have a look at New Jersey, they're close, but they've got three games on everybody. As soon as everyone starts catching up to New Jersey, they could just slowly do that descent down to where most of us had them thinking they were anyway. And it only takes a, a bad run of, of like a one and four for teams to suddenly have their year change. Like, I would feel sorry for any team, except for maybe Philadelphia and New York, if they made a couple of trades at the deadline. Um, and then it all went to the pack on them because you could find yourself out of the playoffs very, very quickly, and not just out of the playoffs, but um, done. Like, you just can't catch it from that point on. I think the nice thing from a Penguin-centric view is, you know, the East is is pretty pretty wide open uh, outside of perhaps maybe Washington kind of being a, a big dog up there. Outside of them... Who, who's really the scary? Uh, I don't want to play them team. There isn't one. Washington is it. You're exactly right. Washington is head and shoulders the best team in the East, and a team that if you're having to play them in a four game series, you can't afford to have a night off, because I very, very doubt, very much doubt that they would have four nights off for you to win. So you, you're going to have to beat them rather than them beat themselves. Because Florida. 
excellent run, still pretty average team. And uh, Montreal, well, I still think Montreal is a lot different than last year. I think when they get Carey Price back and the way they're playing for the most part, despite their losing streak, they've been playing well. I think they're a much better team this year. So maybe Montreal kind of gets up there with Price. Uh, but everybody else, I mean... I don't, this is the thing. I don't trust what Boston is at the moment. They seem to be relying on too few players. Reminds me of another team that I, I, I might follow. Um, the Rangers, everyone keeps saying the Rangers are playing terribly, yet they're winning. Um so you'd think that Lundqvist would be able to cover up for enough of that to get them in. And well, the nice in. thing for them is Lundqvist has been playing poorly and they're still getting by. He'll eventually Correct. straighten that out. Yeah, exactly. So you get into the playoffs with him and you're a chance in any series, no matter how badly your team is playing. The Islanders, I think, are pretty well constructed. They've just got to get healthy. Um, and then they've got to make up their mind in regards to who's going to actually be their starting goalie because Thomas Grice is definitely making a push to be that starter. Um, and Halak just cannot stay healthy. So the the Islanders team is one that, that can flip and flop either way when you look at it. Then you go down from there and you've got, like, the Senators that I don't know what they are. They don't look like a playoff team. But if Anderson gets hot or if the Hamburglar turns into the Hamburglar again and gets stupidly hot, then with the guy like Carlson, who knows what they can do. Um, Carolina is surprising. I hope for their sake that they sort of tumble and just get another really good draft pick, hopefully a, a, a dynamic forward. Um, and I think they should trade Stall and, and, and move forward there. So that, that whole Eastern Conference is such a jumble, whereas if you look at the West, it, it's, it seems a bit clearer in regards to what's going on, except for that Pacific Division. Like, everyone's playing for third, second and third in that Pacific Division, and if you don't get one of those two spots, you, you're out. And I still think Anaheim will. I, I think they will, too, and I think San Jose will as well. Okay, so Arizona drops. That seems to be my, my thought process with that. Uh, and uh, the thing for me is that I once Nashville got Johansson, I said to my friend at work who was a Nashville fan, I said, you guys are now my dark horse to win the whole thing. They've got to make the goddamn playoffs before they can do that, though. Mm-hmm. It's been a hard slide since they got Johansson. Yes. I don't think it's his fault, but yes, correct. Oh, he's a locker room cancer, of course. They're, they're riding Pecorine, and he stinks this year. Yeah. Bad goaltending will ruin a lot of good plans. Yeah. And uh, the last game they just won, Carter Hutton got the shutout in net, so they might have to ride his hot hand for a little while. Which sounds very wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, kind of back to Pittsburgh, we talked about how, you know, not many moves to be made, but it, they, they seem really close to uh, making a, a move defensively, but an in-house move, one that I thought that could have been made a month or so ago, and, and that it seems like Derek Pouliot will be getting called up in the very near future. I have an issue with this decision in leaving it this late in the year. They're going to ask Pouliot with about 20 games to go to get up to NHL speed and then be ready for the playoffs. 
that's what they're asking of a player that they've not thought's been ready all year. So it's not just a jump to go from the AHL to the NHL, but you've got to go AHL to NHL stretch run, then into the playoffs. And I've said this before, they've not really put this kid in situations to succeed. It's almost setting him up to fail right now. And if they don't get him in before 20 games to go, um, I'd like him in ASAP. I'd like to put him in and, and put him in instead of Cole or or um, Lovejoy and, and have those guys play as the sixth defense, just rotate those two in and out with Daly and, and play Pouliot as the as the number four and just see how he goes with Dumoulin. They they played together, I think, when they were in Wilkesbury Scranton. So give him something he's familiar with and play him the minutes and work out whether he's going to be good or not. Don't shelter him and, and try and protect him through it. Play him and go from there. Well... I think the one thing you said in there, it doesn't necessarily have to be Pouliot and Dumoulin, but I do really like, I want to see Dumoulin away from Ben Lovejoy. Yeah, I think everybody does. Everybody can say, it, it looks so obvious at times where Dumoulin goes to do stuff and he bails out in it when he's with Lovejoy. The few times that he's on the ice with someone else, he'll be really aggressive because he knows that the other skater can cover for him. Like if he's paired with Daly occasionally... Um, he knows Daly's got the skating ability to cover for Dumoulin while he's trying to come back. So if he gets below the dots in the offensive zone, he he's not worried about, oh, holy crap, if this goes wrong, I've, I'm going to have us out of position on the two-on-one. Um, when he plays with Lovejoy, he plays much more conservatively. Now, Mike Colligan had a couple of interesting tweets about Derek Pouliot's contract, and I'm not, you know going to place strong accusations, but I'll just pass along the information. Uh, Pouliot's no longer eligible to earn $425,000 in performance bonuses, which would have carried over as a penalty to the Penguins cap next year. Pouliot bonuses that required a minimum 42 games played were top four ice time among defense was another 213000 and top three plus minus among defense, 213000 I don't know why he's... <laughs> What agent put the plus minus in there? But anyways, the the one I'm more <laughs> concerned with is the minimum 42 games, and he it's cannot possible. hit that now. So, plus being top four in ice time among defense, well, that's that's not going to happen. Is, is it top four average or just ice time? So we can't get that. He's missed half the year. Both of those two things go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So get him in ASAP and play. I think the bon- the bonuses are wiped out on the games alone. I think he had to yeah. hit the games and do that. Oh, okay. Uh, not you know not saying they intentionally kept them back there, but you know there's. That. Oh, some, look if if the league can wink wink nudge nudge John Scott out of the NHL All Star game, then the Penguins can wink wink nudge nudge pull you out of what is it five hundred grand's worth of. I don't but think the John Scott thing was a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I think it was a stare down, push off a cliff. If you're going to get there and give the fans a chance to vote, you've got to let them put in whoever they put in. It's your fault for setting it up the way you did. So that's a conversation for another day. But I don't want them to wait much longer to get Pouliot in the lineup if they're going to do it. He's I, gonna think, have I think problems. it's on its way. 
Well, I like, the later they leave it, the more likelihood it is he's not going to be ready for the playoffs. Well, and that's they, what they're this for. Well, they traded away Adam Clendenning, so there's money away from the cap. And David Warzowski got <laughs> taken out by Tim Peel, the referee, today in a vicious collision. Tim Peel lost his uh, – he was skating backwards through the neutral zone, lost his footing, slid – it was an odd man rush coming the other way, and as he was sliding, Warzowski skated backwards right into him and flipped over. Eesh, I have to say that. I've still not watched all the game yet. And, um, you know, Pittsburgh used to have kind of the 7D and with Scuderi there and Clendenning and Warzowski. Those were kind of three candidates that were blocking Pouliot, but they're all gone. Hey, now's as good as time. I mean, if Latang doesn't come back and play... So, actually, basically, they're short of D-man because Latang missed. They've got to play St. Louis tomorrow. Wasowski's out. They're down to five D-men. So... Literally. Yes. So, who's the next call-up? Derek Pouliot. Has to be. I think, based on the quotes from past few months they wanted to keep him down and when they wanted to call him up they wanted it to be the last call up so i think once they bring him up he'll, he'll probably yeah. stay uh that doesn't mean he's going to be immune from healthy scratches at times and that's probably going to make people mad but you know brace yourself for that i guess uh, that's probably the best way to put it <laughs> you're gonna have to get used to the fact that he's gonna have a short leash i think um uh, you'll you'll see You'll see Lovejoy make similar errors and still get to roll out there. But for some unknown reason, with young offensive players, they get butchered a little bit more from from the coaching staff. Um, would the suggestion be that Latang missed this one but will probably play tomorrow and will so now basically because Warofsky got hurt? They said he was... Are you talking Latang? Yes, yes. He... Um... He was labeled as a game time decision for tomorrow's game today. So, yeah, yeah I don't yeah, think yeah. it's a long term thing. All I know is that if he's at sixty percent, I'd sit him. Yeah, long term wise for this year, he's too important for them to to rush him back and have anything else happen to him. I mean, it's it's I think frustrating for for Pittsburgh fans to have someone that's so important on the roster unable to stay healthy. I mean, thankfully this time it's a wrist and it's not a freaking head problem. And, you know, they, it's a tough balancing act because they need points every game, but they, they need him long-term. Yeah. And before yeah. today, they were 1-7-1 and one without him in the lineup. So they are 2-7-1 uh, and one now. So that, that's good. <laughs> Better that's... than it was when the day started. And... Um, <laughs> We'll see. I don't think it's going to be too uh, too bad of an injury. I think. Who knows? Oh, it's it's just it's one of those things where um, it's it's funny how like Eric Carlson is basically what makes Ottawa go. Um, as soon as Pittsburgh made the change away from whatever the frick it was that. Mike Johnson was getting this team to do and the switch over to um, what Mike Sullivan's doing. 
the guys that have to carry this team really, really picked it up. But the one that's picked it up the most has been Latang. Like he's the he's the stick that that stirs this. And Hornquist, I gotta give him some. He's playing better. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago in regards to people were trying to say that Alexander Ovechkin was a coach killer, right? But every time a new coach came in, Ovechkin bought into whatever it was he was asked to do to the detriment of his output and to an awful lot of league-wide criticism in regards to what's wrong with him and stuff. You have a look at what happened to basically the entire Penguins roster, but specifically to Crosby and Latang, Didn't affect Malcolm quite so much. Um, they bought into whatever snake oil bloody Johnson was providing and then you get a coach that has a different philosophy in regards to looking like he's trying to win rather than not lose. Um, this team suddenly has the players that need to play well playing well. And Hornquist is, is one of those. I mean, you were clamoring for a trade. You had me on that train. You know, oh, training man, I, I, My opinion's not changed on small samples. That opinion was based on career and oh, large that's... samples. Yeah, no. He's I, still, if you're looking to make a, an impact trade for Pittsburgh, he's one of the candidates. The other one's even more unpopular with Penguin fans, and that's the goaltender. You're not going to win that one at all. I think you might be able to win some people with Hornquist. The Fleury one, you just you're not going to win that one. Not this year. No, I'm not talking about a, a trade deadline trade. I'm talking more off season. Yeah, I still don't think you're going to be able to win them over on that one. Well, but Hornquist, those, those, those are the valuable, movable assets that they have. Yeah, I, I agree. You know my opinion on, on Fleury. I want him to stay, but if you look at it in regards to the long-term uh, benefit of, of, of this hockey club, you have to to look at making that move. It's unpopular, but you know you've got Matt Murray that looks like he can give you at least average goaltending and if you run with your theory that that's all you need as long as you've got a good 18 players in front of him then I'm pretty confident in saying Matt Murray's floor is going to be league average it it feels that way it really really does so you know but I don't want to assume more than that just it's a safe way of doing it but he's been lights out for a while now yeah, and the sample keeps growing. So, you know, but um, Hornquist is playing better, a lot more points, a lot more shots. He looks like the Hornquist that they got at the start of last year. Actually made a controlled play today, I saw, on one of Crosby's goals. Made a nice, uh, I would call a Kunitz-like pass, where Kunitz used to place pucks for Sid to skate into in the neutral zone. And Hornquist made a, a nice kind of semi area direct pass that led to Crosby's second goal. And, and those are good plays, uh, as opposed to the just mash it off the wall, yeah. off the glass kind of stuff that he was doing for a bit there. Uh, more more plays like that are definitely going to help the Penguins out and get his name on the score sheet more often, which, which has been the case. I think I should probably look it up. I think he had uh, three points today. He just... He, this is the thing, though. Like when the Penguins were um, moved control, moved with control, basically all through last year, before the coaching staff decided to make the change in to... in style of play, Hornquist looked all the part worth the James Neal trade. 
he looked like somebody that was worth it. He was a different style of player to what Pittsburgh had had. He did a lot of things that perception-wise a lot of players in Pittsburgh didn't like to do, and he could and he could generate points. Well, he's doing all of those things again now. The, the hope for Pittsburgh is he does this all the way through to the end of whenever their playoff run ends, if they make it that far, or this is used to trade for a different style of player that can produce uh, more regularly in the top six. Well, the motivation for me in the Hornquist trade isn't – it's a little bit with, with the player himself, but it's mostly right wing is a position of strength for the team moving forward, talking larger picture. Russell's yeah. not going anywhere. Sprong's eventually going to take a, a top six spot. And I would bring Bennett back for, you know, at a minimum, um, third line right wing role. And that's three, you know, decent long, long range options for right wing. Where does Hornquist fit in that? And then you look at left wing, and while Kunitz is starting to play a little bit better, and uh, it's tough to say with Haglin, do we pen him in to top six left wing duty? or No, you can't. I get, I get where you're headed with this. Uh, defense needs some help past Latang Mata Dumoulin. So how are you getting that help? It has to, The money has to come from somewhere. The assets have to come from somewhere. And, you know, that's just how I see it. Yep, I agree. I mean, it would it would be silly, like you said, Haglund's movable, but you'd be moving a left wing for a left wing, and you're not improving that depth down the weaker side of your, your lineup. But for now, in the moment, much better from 72. Yeah, oh, I, I agree. It's... He was putrid for a while there. I mean... Yeah, but so was the whole team. <laughs> I don't think he's doing a ton of things different. I think the results are better. I think what's happening is that Mike Sullivan's system has players skating with speed in different areas, and that and that's helping the the plays that Hornquist usually makes out. Does that yeah. make sense? Makes sense, and that's the thing. Last year they skated with speed. They did it differently. They skated with speed. They get to the start of this year, they change everything up, and it didn't suit Hornquist at all. It's like he suddenly got comfortable in whatever it is Mike Sullivan's preaching, and all of a sudden he's back to the Hornquist that they got. And you can see it in his tangible results. Sid's doing okay, too. Generally helps. <laughs> another another two goals today. So what's that? Is that 8-11 and 11 or 10-13 now? Or 10 in, 10 in 12. Something like that. Yeah. He goes, He stays on this tear the rest of the way, which there's nothing to say that he won't. Maybe not goals, but points. I don't, I don't know. He, he is he's driving, he's driving the goals now. It's like he's shooting more often in spots that he should, although he should have done that against Tampa the other day. Um, he is, he's got that goal scorer's mentality back the year that he got 50. He won't get 50, but he's at that point where you go, he's at what, 14 or 15? How many goals is he at now? He's not that far He's not that far back that if he keeps scoring at this pace, he'll go close to leading the league in goals because the league leader's at 28. 
that's a lot to catch up. I agree, but it's Sid. Sid's never been a big goal guy. No, but he has done it before, and I think he's sort of worked out that he has to be the guy to do it. His line mates aren't scoring them for him. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Kunitz had a, two goals last three games, which is a ton for him in the last year. It's one of those things where I still keep going, is it going to get back? Is it going to come? Because you see situations where you go, that's what Kunitz used to always do. But you know happens. what? You know what this is like? It's like Tiger Woods. <laughs> <laughs> like you get these. Yeah, that that looks good. Oh, geez, what the hell just happened? <laughs> like yeah. you want to convince yourself? Uh, yeah, Tiger's bad. No, no, he's not. Yeah, no, and look, not. that's what it's, that's what it's like for me watching Kunitz. It's almost um, it's one of those things that, that was sort of frustrating when when Bennett went down. Bennett was doing all those little Kunitz plays that was allowing Sid to do things. Um, and I, I do wonder whether that's going to be Bennett's value will be releasing Sid to do stuff, more so than Bennett really finishing anything. Not that he can't, but that to me is where I think if this team is going to go anywhere, it, it's going to rely on those bit part players making it possible for the superstars to do well. So Bennett, Hagland, they need to get there and, and, and play their bit roles to allow the the superstars of this team to, to be superstars at their highest level. And that's where the bottom six comes into play in that they don't get stuck in their own zone all the time. And they seem to do a reasonably good job of making sure the puck's not down their end. So it's vastly improved than the bottom six of the last few years. So you're not going to ask Gino and Sid to do all the heavy lifting. The other parts of the lineup can do that, so you can have them be the offensive stars they want. They're starting to. Yeah, it's starting to click. The question is, have they? Is the runway too short? Are they going to run out of? Are they going to run out of runway before they can get it right? That's the the biggest thing for me. Yep, agreed. Um, anything else? Oh, I don't think so. Seeing as we divulged about three or four times. Well, I guess that will do it. Uh, we are going to have some, some other guests in the future. i got to confirm them before I announce them, but uh, we very much enjoyed having Micah on last podcast, so kind of reached out to some others to get them on, and um, when we can confirm when we're going to actually have those podcasts, uh, that should be interesting and, and fun for the listeners as well. So uh, I guess until then, I'm Ryan Wilson. Uh, I'm Cameron Walsh.